Welcome to the Strategic Boardroom, insights from thought leaders, where we speak to experts in organizational leadership, human capital management, and business strategy. We hope you enjoy this episode brought to you by Bullseye Engagement, a leading provider of cloud-based employee development and strategic business software solutions. This is part one of our conversation with Lieutenant General Michael Rochelle, who culminated his distinguished career in the military as Deputy Chief of Staff for Personnel, the United States Army. In this position, he served as the United States Army Chief Human Resources Officer and was responsible for all HR policy and human resource management for the 1.1 million person United States Army. He now operates a thriving executive coaching, leadership development, and training concern as co-founder, president, and CEO of MDR Strategies. He provided some valuable insights about what leaders should prioritize during this time of uncertainty, and we hope you enjoy this episode. And with that, I'd first like to introduce some of the other members of the Bullseye team we have on the call today. So we have Adil and Raquel. Adil's our chairman and CEO. Raquel is VP of Client Services and Success. I don't know if you guys would like to give a brief little introduction maybe and give us some background about who you are. We can start with Raquel. Hi, good morning, Raquel Fura. Uh, very happy to be here and part of this roundtable with uh, the team and uh, General Rochelle and uh, looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, Kayleen. Uh, I am uh, so looking forward to, to this hour with, uh, with, with General. Uh, General has been gracious enough uh, to be our trusted advisor for the past couple of years and um, we uh, as way back I have heard an ad from EF Hutton that when EF Hutton talks people listen so when general talks I pay a lot of attention and we should all listen uh, there's so much wisdom that comes from uh, from general's advice and his talks so general thank you very much for, for giving us this time Thank you and your team for inviting me, Adil. It's always a pleasure. All right. And then I'm Kayleen, Manager of Customer Communications and Marketing, and I will be facilitating the discussion today. So with that, we can move into our first discussion question. Of course, leaders in all industries right now have a lot on their plate with navigating this crisis, and we'd like to get your thoughts on what you say should be a priority for leaders as they navigate this uncertainty. Well, thank you for that kind introduction, Kayleen, and thank you for the work you're doing on behalf of, of Bullseye. That's a fantastic question, uh, and, and I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of leaders asking uh, more beautiful questions. That, that, that turn of a phrase comes from a wonderful book uh, by a gentleman I read uh, maybe two or three years ago, uh, A More Beautiful Question. And, and several others that I've read on, on the subject of how leaders best lead, especially strategic leaders. And, and I'm really a, a firm believer that leaders should be capable of placing questions on the table that elevate everyone's thinking on a given subject. The minute a leader thinks that he or she is the sole proprietor of, of all the knowledge and wisdom in the world, uh, is the moment that they cease to really be be leading, uh, at least in an effective way. 
Uh, however, being able to, uh, and it's interesting because I was with a client, a coaching client, uh, yesterday for an hour and a half on this very subject. Uh, they really must be able to ask questions that elevate everyone's perspective on not only the problem being confronted, but what are the best ways in which the corporation, the best ways in which the board, the best ways in which the team should address those problems. Because uncertainty is just that. Uh, and in fact, the Defense Department, I think, coined the phrase uh, for, for vague uncertainty, vague, uncertain, uh, what's the other one? Ambiguous, VUCA is the, fr is the, is the little shorthand for it. Uh, complex is, the, is the, the C, vague, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous circumstances. And the ability to go into those requires questions, not necessarily answers. Mm -hmm. I like that perspective. Um, so as leaders are creating these questions or deciding what should be asked, how important is it that they have real-time data? Well, data, data informs the question, should inform the question, uh, but not pure data. Uh, and, and this is where I'll, I'll come back to something we mentioned uh, in, the, in the short, before we did the introductions. Uh, Real-time data is, is, is critical, but that real-time data doesn't, sh shouldn't necessarily provide an answer. That real-time data should inform the question. Mm -hmm that helps to, to lift everyone's appreciation for what the data is, uh, is telling us. Uh, let, me, let me give you a personal example of this, uh, and, and, and not one I'm particularly proud of, because it, it reflected uh, uh, my, one of my leadership challenges back when I was commanding Army recruiting uh, nationwide. Uh, the, the Army has long had uh, a, a talented group of young men and women they call ORSAs, Operations Research Systems Analysts. And they are the masters of data, the masters of data. And I dare say no one had a better stable, and I use that word very respectfully because I admired these people, I literally loved these people. Uh, no one had a better stable of bright, talented, many of them PhDs, uh, ORSAs, than did or does U.S. Army Recruiting Command. And I literally cherished these young people because they could, that, I could give them any challenge in terms of analyzing data that was flowing into the command, the headquarters from all around the country and, and organizations and elements outside the country where we were engaged in recruiting uh, back in those days, 80 to 83,000 young men and women for the, for the U.S. Army every year. Oh. 80,000, which I used to be proud of saying uh, when the Army recruited that many folks, 80,000 people a year is bigger than the United States Marine Corps. And it, and it, became, it became very, very challenging after uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. 
my horses were coming to me saying, boss, uh, we're headed into a perfect storm. And I would sit and look at the data and analyze the data and then ask questions. Again, data should inform the question, not necessarily provide the answer. And, And I was weighing I was weighing both the empirical data and what I knew about the quality of the leadership I had around the country, around the nation. And I was was coming down on the side of the ability of my leadership to be able to overcome the trends that the data was, was informing us of until it was too late, until it was too late. Yes, the leadership was good, but the leadership was unable to overcome the flow of the data. Uh, and I still admire those young people uh, for, for both their courage uh, as well as their expertise. I hope that answers your question. Real-time data is, is critical. Mm-hmm. It definitely but, does. But leadership should use the data to inform the question. Or questions. Is there anything? Did you want to add something to that, Adil? General, I mean, it's a very comprehensive, uh, <clears throat> very comprehensive answer uh, to Kelly's questions. Uh, but this Inc. article that uh, we talked about earlier uh, this morning uh, talks about uh, a two-sentence or two-point agenda uh, for the new norms. Uh, talks about uh, uh, outcomes. Uh, leadership should be focusing on outcomes and they should trust uh, their employees. Uh, I would like to have you just add probably a comment or two in the same light where data is relevant to uh, know what kind of, what kind of outcomes uh, should be getting attention of the leadership and uh, what sort of decisions on a timely basis can be made to avoid the situation um, that way back uh, we learned uh, that uh, if the captain of the Titanic ship knew the rock was there, he could have maneuvered the other way. I, I think that's a, that's a fan, two fantastic questions. Uh, the Siemens, that, excuse me, the Inc. article uh, highlights Siemens Corporation of Germany and <clears throat> their two-sentence, their two-sentence, uh, what, what did they call it? Uh, Talking about focusing on outcomes and trusting your employees. Yeah, but they referred to those, the two-sentence statement as their uh, focus going forward. I'll call That's it a focus. focus focus going forward uh, beyond the coronavirus and literally uh, literally bringing their declaring that going forward, regardless of the situation with COVID, they would be working and their workforce would be working two or three days uh, each, each week, wherever they felt comfortable working. The thing I like best about that article was the the discussion, although it very brief, was very brief, of the trust element. 
the trust element that was reflected in the Siemens decision that, that they could do that with a focus on outcomes as opposed to a focus on how much time one spent in an office environment. Again, pardon the phrase, but with, with a butt in a seat. Uh, and it, it points to an aspect of the organization, both culture, which they were able to leverage, uh, but it also speaks to, to their trust. And, and trust in, in my world, uh, both as a coach and as a one-on-one -on -one coach with executives and a team coach, uh, it, it speaks to the ability uh, for an organization to have psychological safety. Uh, if things are going off track, anyone, uh, a little bit like the, uh, the, the, the Kaizen approach or maybe the TQM approach, where anyone along the factory line who sees a problem can stop the line. Uh, this is more in your world than in mine, Adil, but... but uh, Absolutely. It, Dr. Henning and Toyota production systems. Yes, yes. But it, it, what, what we see in Siemens is leveraging their organizational culture that they obvious, obviously have built over time uh, to their advantage, leveraging it to their advantage, but also the trust that they are able to uh, instill in their, in their workforce uh, and, and the psychological safety without which that trust wouldn't be possible. Two, two things that I think are really, really important. To your Titanic, uh, captain of the Titanic uh, question, I, I, like, I like the way a former Secretary of Defense used to speak about the things we, we don't know. Uh, there, there are things we don't know that we know we don't know. And then there are things we don't know that we don't know we don't know. And his phrase for that was un unknown unknowns. And those are always out there. Those are always out there. And, and colleagues that I've had the privilege and, and uh, battle buddies, if you will, that I've had the privilege of working alongside, uh, many of them were very comfortable in this position of unknown unknowns. And why were they comfortable? They were comfortable because they were always sitting in the question. What is it that we don't know that we don't know? And then ask, inviting that from their, their teams and their subordinate leaders. Uh, that's, how you, that's how you stay receptive to and open to uh, the unknown unknown. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for the question. So, on a related note, talking about culture, um, there have been a lot of companies recently saying that they think their culture is, has gotten stronger during this crisis, some saying they believe it's what enabled them to continue being successful and resilient through the pandemic. But then you sometimes see the other end of the spectrum where you get organizations who are sort of struggling to work remotely because of the culture they had established previously, which maybe was like what we were talking about, which is heavily valuing FaceTime over actually accomplishing and the outcomes. So I just like to get your thoughts on the importance of organizational culture, and maybe its role in employee development and creating a positive employee experience. 
Yeah, thank you for the question, uh, Kayleen. I think I think organizational culture is uh, is is hugely important uh, in employee development and in organizational growth. Uh, if you think about it from the perspective of shareholder value, if you think about it from the perspective of stakeholder value, uh, it is. And I've had the privilege of serving on on boards. Uh, where the board has a, a keen and rather unique perspective and responsibility, obligation, frankly, uh, to, to examine and test organizational stress test, if you will, organizational culture, so that it can, it can see beyond what the data select shows. So this is very much in line with my comment about data and timely data is, is very important but it should inform the question, not necessarily be the answer. <clears throat> and in this case, data, which, which Bullseye is, is the master of, uh, provides tons and tons of data uh, to organizations. I, I had the privilege of, of accompanying a deal and members of his team. In fact, Raquel was one of those members of the team. She was the briefer, as I recall. I won't name the organization, but, but a very large, largest uh, association and, and as, as we were going through the presentation, uh, I, I made it a point, and Adil will remember this because he and I spoke about it subsequently, uh, I made it a point to highlight that this particular tool, bullseye tool, a bullseye engagement tool, could actually make, in this case, HR, the HR arm of the, of the organization, the preeminent arm of the organization capable of speaking to the organization's culture. Uh, and it plays a huge role in, in both retention, culture does. Uh, it also plays a huge role in, in talent development, which is, is a subset of retention uh, and, and clearly supports retention. By, by the way, let me mention one other cultural thing that uh, beyond beyond the organizational culture, but but this is kind of my perspective on on the post COVID nineteen. Uh, I won't say reality because we're already beginning to see some of it, but but absent a very well thought out engagement strategy by organizations, they will those organizations who don't have one will lose talent. They will bleed talent, critical talent, at the end of the, the pandemic. And why is that? Uh, this is another conversation I was having with a coaching client uh, just several days ago, talking about how that particular organization, that, that leader might, might think about his engagement strategy now so that he doesn't lose his critical talent uh, post-COVID. And the circumstance, and, and this, this is a rather general circumstance that I think many leaders will confront. When we have a, when we have the ability to field a vaccine that opens up the, uh, opens up the pipeline, if you will, for for talent to flow to wherever the highest personal reward or highest financial reward may be granted, uh, 
those organizations that have failed to, to really appreciate the importance of engagement in this current environment will be on the losing end of the spectrum because their talent and their critical talent in many cases will flee to a better organizational culture and where there is better engagement. Back to Adil's comment at the very outset uh, of millennials and, and their expectation of recognition and instant gratification. And it's not unique to millennials again. And many of us, it's simply been rubbed out, erased the expectation. Mm-hmm. I hope that answers your question. A bit of a long answer, uh, Kayleen. It definitely does. I, I want to talk about that point you made about employee engagement strategy and how it's important to start on that now. Because I've, I've been seeing a lot of research talking about how right now employees are scared. They're not going to leave their jobs right now. The job market is very limited. And so you, you can't bank on the employees you have now to stay with you once that job market starts opening up or that pipeline like you mentioned earlier. And so one thing that I come across frequently as I'm talking to our clients, working with HR leaders is how they struggle to show the business value of the strategies. So what would you suggest to someone who believes in the importance of what we just discussed? So the real-time data or um, starting an employee engagement initiative, how can they show the value of these strategies? Well, uh, human capital strategy, that, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful question. And this is something that Adil and I have had a little, a, a, a handful of conversations about uh, over, over the couple of years. I think it's important for human capital leaders, HR leaders, frankly, every leader, not just cap, human capital leaders, but I really think it's important for them to see the bigger picture and then bring their expertise to the table as, a, as an equal partner to help leadership, writ large leadership, solve the bigger problem. So let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, human capital strategy that isn't necessarily linked to an overall corporate strategy uh, is a nuisance and and will be perceived as a nuisance. Uh, But human capital strategy that is, is nested in the unique business model and the unique organizational strategy of the bigger entity, the larger entity, the enterprise, if you will, uh, will be valued for what it brings to the table. And, and this, is, this is a little bit uh, in line with my general perspective that, that I, think, I think human capital leaders in many, in many cases overemphasize the technique, they overemphasize the expert knowledge, they overemphasize the uh, the proprietary tools that they have access to and other members of the corporation do not have access to, to the detriment of, of their being perceived and valued as full members of the corporate strategy team. Not all, not all. But I, I think it's a prevalent, it's a prevalent uh, 
shortcoming. Yeah, I, I will I'll phrase it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are there are some absolute giants out there who who recognize that their human capital expertise is worthless if they can't make it fit within the overall strategy for the corporation. And those are those are the winners. Those are the people who 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 have a full seat at the table. Uh, they're able to think. They're able to take the tools that an organization, the wonderful tools that an organization like Bullseye gives them, or provides for, can provide for them, and then they ask the question: So what? So what? And the so what takes them to the corporate strategy level, and then cascades down into ways in which that expert knowledge, that expert insight can support the corporate strategy. Uh, I had the privilege for six years of serving on the board of governors uh, for the Center for Creative Leadership. It's one of the most prestigious uh, human development, uh, human talent development organizations in the world. Uh, And I, I remain pretty close to them in fact, I was in communication by email with the CEO just last week. Uh, no, early this week. And, and one of the things that I think CCL does so, so very well, uh, and they have a fabulous HR, HR uh, business partner, by the way, senior HR business partner, just a fabulous gentleman, uh, truly, truly talented, is that, that they see themselves as a full corporate member around the executive leadership team, but they recognize that their expertise is only relevant when it is completely nested in the strategy for the corporation. And that concludes part one of our conversation with General Rochelle. If you're interested in hearing the rest of his insights, be sure to check out the next episode. You can also listen to the full recording with video on the Bullseye Engagement YouTube channel. For additional resources on human capital management, leadership, and strategic planning, be sure to follow Bullseye Engagement on LinkedIn and join our growing community of human capital and operational leaders.